our scripture reading is Isaiah 30, 15 through 22. It says this, for thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, no, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left, like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. This is the word of the Lord. Again, if you're visiting with us, I'm grateful you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Clyde Godron. I'm the interim pastor here. And we're going to pray before we come to the sermon this morning. But uh, be in prayer with us as the search committee is looking and seeking the right uh, man, family to come and lead North Cross through the next season of life for this community. Uh, I do with Hudson want to thank everybody who helped out around uh, Dylan's service. We met down at New Song. I'm very grateful to that community, how they opened the doors for us. Uh, and uh, they couldn't have been more welcoming. But there are a lot of people behind the scenes who had to do a lot of work. And I know that Austin uh, was very grateful, as well as Scott and Cindy, for everything that was done. So thank you. Um, and uh, let's continue to pray, as we will right here, for Austin and for their daughter, Alice, Allie. Uh, and just to pray for Scott and Cindy and the whole family uh, and all of us that we would be reminded, uh, as you are when you lose somebody like that you love, we're not home yet. And we're invited to number our days and to say to God the way Moses did in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach me to have a heart of wisdom, to really value every day, to be present in my day today, right now, to make the most of every day. So Psalm 90 verse 12. Um, and there are other things that we want to pray for as well. Some of you know that Ben's uh, grandmother passed away this week in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They're going to be leaving here tomorrow, him and Emma, to go to Baton Rouge. And then uh, it's not their wedding, but it's a wedding that Emma is in, um, in Ohio and her hometown. And so they're heading to Ohio. So they're going to Baton Rouge and then they're going to Ohio and then coming back. Uh, they won't be here for obviously for next week, but we want to pray for traveling mercies, but to pray for Ben's family as they grieve the loss of his mother's mother, Sally. So pray with me. Uh, Father, we're thankful today for the beauty and the hope that in repentance and rest and quietness and trust, we find our sanctification and our strength. Uh, you are our strength and our refuge. And so Jesus, we pray today, particularly for Austin, who's lost his wife. Uh, 
and has to be in a, such a hard, hard place this morning. And every day this week, since she passed a week ago Saturday, of knowing she's not there. So just comfort our, our friend, our brother, uh, help him today to know you're there and you love him very much. We pray for Allie, uh, who I'm sure she understands her mom's no longer here, but you alone, Jesus, can fill that hole in her heart because as loving and as kind as everyone is, um, I, she knows uh, how much she misses her mom. So we pray you'd meet her in her need, her sadness, her brokenness, and you'd comfort her and build into her the kind of strength that relies on you and sees how you want to redeem the loss of her mom and her story in a way that she will become more beautiful for you uh, through this journey of grief that she'll have her whole life because she lost uh, her mom so young. We pray for comfort for uh, Sydney and Scott, uh, for their children and spouses, um, Lord, and for Isaac. We pray, Jesus, that you would, again, redeem the beauty of the gospel in their story, things that they've lost in this three-year journey of grief. May you comfort and restore to them what they've lost as a result of the sadness and the hurt they've gone through watching Dylan suffer so terribly. Uh, we pray for Ben's family. We pray for particularly Ben's mother, who's grieving the loss of her mother. Uh, we pray for comfort for them, traveling mercies for Emma and Ben as they drive uh, to Baton Rouge and then to Ohio. Uh, I just pray it'll be a good time for them to get away, to be in the car together for a lot of hours, safety, but just time to listen to music, to be quiet, and for you to help them connect with you and each other in ways that they come back really renewed for what's next. Father, we pray for this community to find uh, the right pastor and family to come and lead them. Thank you for this amazing group of people on the search committee. May you unite them and give them clarity of vision and the ability to really talk through each person in a way that they can really help each other discern who is the right person, uh, who's the right man for this next calling to be the next pastor of North Cross. So thank you that greatest your faithfulness, all that our hands have needed, you have provided. We pray you demonstrate your great faithfulness again for North Cross and providing the right pastor. Lord, we pray for our country today. We need your help. We pray you'd pour out your grace and mercy. You'd shed your grace afresh on our country. We long to live through another great awakening that has been in the history of the U.S., and we pray you do it again. We pray you bring revival and renewal to this area, to this church. Let it start with us. But we pray it would spread shore to shore in our country. We pray for our friends and brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine right now who are struggling, suffering, uh, have lost everything, uh, uh, and have fled to different parts of the world, uh, living in Poland or France or here. Uh, Jesus, you know how to make real to them your promises and peace that will sustain them even today. We pray for our friends who are believers in Russia who are just uh, undone by the, the evil of Putin. And um, we just pray you'd comfort and help them and help them pray. And trust that you have the power to pull all of this down and reverse it. So would you reverse the curse of Putin's reign of terror? 
in their country and in the Ukraine. Uh, may we live to see the, just the destruction of what's happened um, because of his decisions to invade that part of the world. So Jesus, uh, be merciful and kind and pour out your spirit on the Ukraine today. Uh, we pray again that you would help us and teach us how to pray. We pray for the praying at North Cross that we'll become a more prayerful people, faithful and fruitful to pray about everything, to pray continually, to rejoice always, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is your will for us. And then, Father, we do pray you'd give us ears to hear today. We've been talking about one of the best ways we can love you is listen to you. So I pray you'd give us ears to hear you today, Jesus. Um, and that we'd hear your voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we pray this for the Father's glory to be fulfilled, amen. So somebody remember my question for last week, but help you by maybe asking yourself this question as we start in this passage again. And this passage is so good, we're gonna be here this week, we're gonna be here next Sunday. Uh, so uh, if you are soaking in it saying, hey, say more, say more. Hang on, there is so much you can say in this piece of scripture. I think of the quote from the famous po poet George Herbert, who lived a couple centuries ago. He said, every passage of scripture has a thousand surprises in it. And a lot of times I come to the word and I go, is there, I don't say anything. <laughs> but the truth is, when God helps us, we go, wow, there is so much here. And there is in these verses. But Here's the question for this week is, what do you do when you wanna do the right thing, but you can't do it? What do you do when you wanna do the right thing, but you can't do it? And you're so defeated because you know you wanna do it, but you're not doing it. Or the question that surround, goes with that question is this one. It's more straight up in your face, but what do you do when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? What do you do? Now, this is in the context of stubbornness, being stubborn. And all of us are stubborn people. It's worse than that. We're all stiff-necked people. If we're honest, left to ourselves, we are stubborn people. So I want you to think with me uh, just for a second about is the first question I ask, what do you do when you want to do the right thing but you can't do it? Is this a variant? You know, is this a variant of the same issue? What do you do when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? Is this a way of you saying, I want to do the right thing. I know what God wants me to do, but I, I just can't do it. Is this another form of stubbornness? So what does that look like? Um, good friend of mine who's a godly elder at Richmond, um, a ruling elder there, and he's older than me, so he's really old. Uh, he, um, he would say to me often, he said, Clyde, my big concern for our community, which is a dynamic church there in Richmond called West End, he says, my fear for the people at West End is that they will settle. They will settle. And what does that mean when you settle? You're living by this little truth of the world, not of the word of God that says this. This is as good as it, what, gets. This is as good as it gets. I mean, life's pretty good, I got this, I got that, I get this, but this is as good as it gets. If you settle and you hear God call you to do something and you wanna do it and you don't follow through on do it, 
you've got to sort of demask or demilitarize or de-weaponize this terrible belief that when you think this is as good as it gets. Or let me give you another example of that. Oh, you know her. She is always this way. You know, she is just like that. That's her. Or you know him. He's always been that way. Now, what do you hear in that? You settle. You settle. You just go, oh, he is always going to be like that. That's his problem. He's got an issue there. And it's his issue. And he is never going to change. <laughs> He's never going to change. He's just like that, you know? I mean, you know, come on, show him some slack. Not grace, but show him some slack. Give him a little bit of rope here. Now, what's the problem with that? It just flies in the face of the gospel. It flies in the face of the truth of who Jesus Christ is, which is this. Think about Mary. Mary's saying, hey, you're going to give birth to the Savior. And she's troubled. She's confused. But she kind of begins to ponder the angel's revelation to her. And what does she say? Nothing is what? Impossible for God. All right, so here's a way to check in with this passage right now and follow me close. So there was a, when I was about hour living in Philadelphia, there was this country preacher that would come preach at our church. And uh, he was a character, he was from somewhere part of this area, but he was an evangelist, a big guy, big bulky guy. And, uh, and he would come preach. And always when he would come, people would kind of start looking at their watches going, are we ever going to get out of here? I mean, he preached for an hour, <laughs> hour and a half. People be dropping like flies, like, get us out of here, you know. But he had a famous line that always tickles me, is that whenever he would get to a really important point in his message, he'd take off his glasses, he'd lean over his, the pulpit, and he'd go, now follow me close. You know, so right now I want you to follow me close, all right? Because the truth is, the gospel can change anybody in any situation. The gospel can change anybody in any situation. And when you start believing that he's hopeless, or that situation is hopeless, or whatever um, you've been through, then you've settled but you're missing out on the truth of gospel. Nothing is impossible for God. Now, I know this is going to stir up some painful things for some of you, and I want to be very sensitive that there are situations, all this, where you need to sit with a pastor, an elder, a counselor, and process some of this. But what does it look like to, for you to believe, in light of your heartache and your disappointment and your brokenness, there is no one outside the reach of the strong arm of God? There's no one that God cannot change. And there's no situation that because the gospel is true, that could change. Now, if you start sliding into unbelief about other people and situations, my mentor, Jack Miller, would say, look in the mirror because you've started believing that about yourself. If unbelief is flowing out of your story about people and situations, trust me. It's a reflection in that you've settled that I'm never going to get better than I am right now. I'm always going to struggle with this. It's not true. It's a big lie. It is the big lie. 
It is the big steal, if you will, because the devil is out to steal from you and to crush in you any confidence that Jesus is big and as great as he says he is, okay? So let's review the passage real quick. As we start with verse 15, God reintroduces himself to stubborn people. He says, I am the Lord God, the Holy One. And he reminds them of who he is. And here is where you begin to be reintroduced to the logic of grace. The logic of grace. And here's the logic of grace. I'm going to give you a little clue. The way up is down. So for you to be willing to go down, you need to hear this wonderful word, repent. You need to hear the call to repent. Remember John the Baptist shows up and here's how he's announcing the coming of the Messiah. He says, every mountain will be brought low. This is Isaiah. Every valley will come up. There'll be a level playing field that I'm gonna bring into play because God's people will repent. When Jesus starts preaching his first sermons, what draws people to him is this. He starts by saying, repent. Turn around, turn to me, trust me, rejoice, because I am here. Do you know how miserable it is when you rely on yourself to make your life different and to change? You know how lonely and hard it is? Most of you do that when you are relying on yourself, you're in deep weeds. The devotional writer Oswald Chambers says this in a lot of different ways, but he can say, you have people who are Followers of Jesus, churchgoers, religious people, but they spend their whole lives building a life that's independent of relying on God. So you can know Jesus Christ, but you're working really hard to make it in your own effort, in your own strength. And so when God reintroduces them to himself, he says, repent, return to me. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, and then what? And trust and, and trust me again. Now, remember in this verse, there's a chiasmus in the Hebrew. So when you look at verse 15, here's what's going on, is that the word repent goes with the word trust. It says in returning, trust. So just draw a line between returning and trust, if you had a manuscript to draw on. And then it says, and then rest and get quiet. See, the genius of the gospel that can transform you today is that if you repent and do what? It says rest. If you rest in him, now think of Hebrews 3, 4, where God says warning, 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 warning. If you hear the call to rest and you don't rest, you're putting yourself in danger. Um, what does it mean to rest? When God created the world, Okay, when God created the world and he rested on the seventh day, was he tired? Was God tired? Did he need to rest on the seventh day? No, God wasn't tired. But why did he rest on the seventh day? And the answer is beautiful. And again, I only got so much time this morning, I'm tempted to go, go this way. And I can hear Valerie saying, don't go there, don't go there, you know? But, uh, you know, I can feel myself being pulled that way. But God rested because he was satisfied. He was satisfied. He was resting because he was satisfied in everything that he made. And you know what he said about men and women that he'd made? He said about the stars, they were good, you know? He said about the seas, that's good. But when he made you and me in his image, he says, this is very good. 
This is very good. So when the Bible calls you to rest, it's to rest in the beauty of who God's made you to be, but more importantly, in the new beauty he offers you in Christ. And so when God says repent and rest, rest in the gospel. Rest in it. Because when you're resting in the gospel, you are what? Satisfied. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I've got, we've got a good friend in the church we pastor uh, uh, up in Winston-Salem, Hope, where we go to now. And I will say to this young woman, I'll say to her, how you doing? She'll go, I'm good. It's kind of like saying amazing. But what she's saying, because she knows the gospel so well, when she says that to me, she knows that I know she's saying, I'm satisfied. <laughs> that Jesus paid it all and all to him I owe. You see, when you rest, then you get quiet. So again, again, repentance, trust, rest and get quiet. And when you get quiet, you can listen. You can hear God's whisper to you about what he wants to reveal to you. So what is repentance? Jack Miller would say, what do I need to stop doing because I love Jesus? And what do I need to start doing because I love Jesus? Now here's the challenge. Now you, some of you know I'm in Romans 7 right now. We're getting ready to jump into Romans 8. Because Paul says in Romans 7, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I end up doing the very thing I hate. Like, okay, let's pick every marriage represented here. There's a conflict between a husband and a wife over something. And each of them is thinking this. He needs to say he's sorry. Husband, she needs to say he's sorry. And then the Cold War settles it. <laughs> All right. So who needs to go first? Who needs to say they're sorry? Who starts the whole process of repairing the damage that's been done because hurt's been happened? Well, I'll answer the question for you. Whoever, husband or wife, says, I've got to own what I've done, and I'm eager to go first. And I know, again, some of you are going, that's nuts. <laughs> but trust me, it's the gospel. And one of the hardest things for me to do is that when Valerie has messed up, and it's very rare, and she's hurt my feelings, okay, um, I want her to say she's sorry, you know? All right, and when it's very rare, when I can admit that it's on me, and I want to say I'm sorry, I can hear myself, here's what I do. I'm sort of rehearsing my apology, and I want to say, I'm sorry, I, 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 you know, I sort of mouthing the words, you know, I want to say I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, so, uh, but Valerie will tell you that when I am quick to apologize, quick to own my stuff and not put her in the freezer and shut the door, um, gosh, that's Jesus. That's the gospel. What we're talking about here is the diamond, because I'm not settling. I'm not going, it's on Valerie to make this right. You know, it's on you to make it right, because you messed it up for me. Listen to this beautiful line from Robert Murray McShane poem. It's a hymn he wrote. He said, chosen not for good in me, waking up for wrath to free, flee, hidden in the Savior's side by the Spirit, sanctified. Teach me, Lord, Lord, on earth to show by my love how much I owe. 
You see, when the gospel's real to you, you believe that God's love can change anybody, any situation. Now, next Sunday, we're going to start on the first Sunday of the month. We're going to gather to pray. The purpose of the prayer meeting is to pray for the lost people in our lives, in this community. So if I was to say to you, write down the top three people in your life who will never become a Christian, because you said they're not part of the elect. I know it. You know, they're not going to believe. Let's pray for the impossible people in your life. And you come and bring a sandwich and we'll break bread together. And then we're going to pray for the lost people that are represented in this room. And trust me, it's easily 300, 400, 500 people, but we don't have enough time. Okay, but we're going to focus. Who are the people that God's put on your heart that you're going, oh, Father, they're so lost. They need a Savior. They need help. Think of the most difficult people in your life. And you just say, that's, that's impossible. Friends, I'm standing here. I've been a pastor 40 years. I've seen more people that I can tell you that if you said on first blush, she is hopeless. She is hopeless. And so repentance address, quieting trust, help me by my love. And we show God how much we owe by the way we pray for the people that he's pursuing. And he wants to say, So not only do we need to be saved from the inside out by listening, but we need to be looking for the outside in. We have to look our way from ourselves to Jesus because notice what it says. If you do these things, you will be sanctified, saved. That's the saving work of Christ is to wash us in the truth of who he is so that as you come to the table today, you come and say, Jesus, thank you that you made a way when there wasn't a way. And I'm satisfied. That's the way you bless the Lord this morning. Say, Lord, you don't need to do anything else. As a matter of fact, I've been at funerals and services where people would say, if God never did anything else for me but save me, it's more than enough. I'm satisfied. I'm resting in the beauty and the truth of the gospel. So that's a little review of the passage. Let's review the context uh, notice the people's response to this beautiful invitation verse it's actually we don't even get into verse 15 but you were unwilling and you said no we will flee you said I don't, I don't want a part of it I don't believe this I don't trust this and if you know yourself well you know I want to believe it <laughs> I want to believe it's true but I know the way I live I know the way I'll live when I walk out of here I need help I need help to change and be different. And so it says you start running and you get on that sort of Ferris wheel, not Ferris wheel, whatever, uh, Gerbil, guinea pig wheel, and you start racing around the wheel of busyness. And most everybody in this room, if I said, let me see your day time or your planner or your phone, what's your calendar look like this week? And here's what you would say. I have no margin. I have no, I mean, it's, it's up here. I need a straw, <laughs> you know, I need a snorkel. I mean, I am up to here. I have no margin uh, to take the time that I need to take to get back to first things. And it's because you're running. And you're like the runaway bunny. You're running, running away from the very thing that can change you. What are you going to do? I mean, I don't want to be that person, but I am that person. 
you know, I'm a workaholic. I love the challenge. You raise the bar, and I'll say, I'll do it all. You want me to make 10 sales calls? I'll make 15. But when you start living that way and let that rule your life, guess what? There's no oxygen. There's no gospel. They run away. They end up all alone on a hill. And here's what God says. I know where you'll end up, and I'm going to send my son ahead of you to die on that hill. Because remember, we looked at it last week. It says uh, in verse 17, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Now this is the curse coming out of Deuteronomy, that if you turn away from God, you rely on yourself, you end up under the judgment of God. And the banner over your story will say, she was cursed of God. He was cursed of God because he did not listen, he did not repent, he went on and on and on in his own strength. Now this is the bad news, okay? The good news is that Jesus knows what you and I are like and we would end up there, but he loved us when we were unlovable. He showed us mercy when we did not deserve mercy and he went ahead of us and died in our place, cursed of God. So when we read this passage, it's kind of, uh, I'm not, be careful here. Uh, it's kind of a, it's l turning, l turning it around and going, how do you see the gospel in this passage? It's because Jesus died on a hill, all alone, cursed of God for me, so that I wouldn't end up there. <laughs> now, why do I know that? Because it says in verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice, Blessed are those who wait for him. So we see right here, we see something that invites us. Okay, it invites you and me to say, God knows that we would settle were he not on our side. Had God not willed his truth to triumph through us, you'd end up totally defeated. You'd never discover that I want to do the right thing, but why is it so hard for me to say I'm sorry? Why is it so hard for me to create a different schedule in my life so that I have time to be alone with Jesus. I long for that, I'm thirsty for that. But somehow it just keeps getting away from me. Well, the answer is here. Notice it says the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He exalts himself in showing you mercy. Friends, we have just begun to know how sweet and beautiful the gospel is, but if we take more of it in, we help each other believe it, we pray more together, we trust it more, our lives will change the character, the way we make choices, the way we make decisions. And what's God's end game? To what end? God wants you to live in the power of there is no one, no situation that Jesus cannot change because he's changing me. <laughs> then it gets exciting. It gets fun. Like, woo! Man, I can't wait to show up at that prayer meeting next Sunday. I've got five people on my list that are just, they're goners. <laughs> you know, they're going, they're going straight to hell, you know. And, uh, and some of you say, and I'm glad they're going there too. And you need to repent of that. Okay. Uh, but uh, it's like, I don't, I don't desire that anyone would perish. I don't want anyone to die without Christ. And when that begins to grip you, you know you're on your way. You are in the way. This is the way. Walk in it. This is the way to go and all that. 
All right, so I want you to see a couple of things here that'll light you up like a Christmas tree. Now notice what God says. Uh, For a people who dwell at North Cross in Cornelius, North Carolina, you shall weep no more. He surely will be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. Wow. When you are walking in the truth of who Jesus is for you, when you cry out to him, he hears you, boom. And he's ready to answer it, boom. The problem is, again, because we've settled and we're all hot messes here today, is, is that we need help to heal. We need encouragement. We need to be in a community group. We need to be in studies where we're reminding ourselves and renewing ourselves in the situation. Now, it's my privilege to help people and coach people in the gospel, helping them believe it. Uh, some of you know one of my part-time jobs I'm doing is I'm coaching people right now, pastors and ministry leaders, in the gospel. And one of the women people I'm coaching is a woman who is a wonderful follower of Jesus, a ministry leader in her church community. And she's so hungry to learn the gospel, she's joined this leadership uh, program called Inago uh, to learn the gospel better. And uh, when we were talking again, I have permission to say this to you, so not to worry, because all of you are thinking, if I tell Clyde some of this, it's going to show up somewhere in a sermon. Okay, so not to worry. Um, But uh, we're just talking about uh, when she was growing up as a little girl, here's what she would hear. She would say to her mom, because she had a real sensitive conscience, she was quick to say she was sorry. She'd say, Mom, I'm sorry. And her mother would say to her, you are sorry. Okay, so if you grow up in a family with a formative person who's constantly giving you the message, you are so sorry. (laughs) That's not only the guilt of sin, that's shaming and the power of shame. And again, a lot of times we understand forgiveness, but we don't understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to shame or shame. Um, so, what she wanted to hear is not you're sorry, but you're something. You're someone that I am so glad that you're so willing to say you're sorry. Do you believe you're something to God? Do you believe that you're someone that God values? That when you say, God, help me, heaven just erupts with, we're eager. <laughs> What does he need? What does she need? What do they need? I'm, I'm so eager to, and it says, it says right here, and, and it's got to grab your heart. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you because, friends, you are something to someone. You know, some of you know from the black church, African-American church, this basic line that I'm a nobody telling everybody there's somebody <laughs> who can save anybody, right? But you see, I always wanna mess with my African-American friends and say, you're really not a nobody. You know, you are a somebody that there is someone who knew your greatest need and he came to rescue you so that you could tell anybody that he can save everybody. And so you, you begin to let that truth sink in and it goes for, uh, right to where we live. 
So, aren't you glad we got another week in this passage? <laughs> so, I'm not even getting to the good stuff yet. So, I'm like, like how, where did the time go? Um, but let's just remind ourselves now that Jesus died for us so that we could find our greatest joy in trusting him and being quiet, being satisfied in his fin finished work. So, I encourage at North Cross Church, there's joy in repenting and trusting in our way of sanctification, our way we grow in resting, in solitude, because it makes us strong people, people who know how to love brokenhearted people and heal them. Jesus is inviting us into his story and to hear his voice. And the problem for most of us, if I was to sit down to you and ask you this question, are you living in the wrong story? Because if you're living in the wrong story, there are other voices controlling the narrative of who you're becoming. But Jesus is here today to help each one of us to say, come into my story and listen for my voice. Let us pray. Father, we thank you uh, this morning for just helping us because we need so much encouragement. Forgive us how quickly we settle. Forgive us how quickly we just give up on people and then we've already given up on ourselves and so Jesus help us we pray um, again to realize that you're here to help us to have your heart that we don't want anyone to miss what you've given us we don't want anyone to miss and so forgive us for our bitterness our grudges our unforgiveness forgive us for our critical spirits towards people and Jesus, fill our hearts again with compassion and mercy and kindness, we pray. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.